We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another very very exciting edition of the Music City Audible podcast brought to you by Broadway Sports Media. We're partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver, joined as always by Justin Mello, and we get to talk about a Titans bye week. What's up, Justin? Yeah, it's a special week. It's not every year that you get the bye. You earn the one seat. Obviously, it's been about what, 13, 14 years for the Titans specifically. So uh, this is certainly going down as a special season right now. And it has the chance to grow into a really special season as we get into the rest of January here and hopefully February. Absolutely. We are going to talk about the Texans game. Titans took care of business last weekend in Houston, locked up the one C. They already had the division one. So back-to-back AFC South titles, an improvement over last year's win total, 11 and five last year, 12 and five this year. Obviously the 17th game helps with that because they were 11 and five heading into last week, but Mike Vrabel continues to get better each and every year. I think we'll talk a little bit more. We did last week, but we'll talk a little more about his coach of the year candidacy today. And then we will dive into the playoffs, although we don't have a game to preview, so we don't have a guest this week, but we're going to talk about some of the matchups and some of the things that we hope to see coming up. So before we get into all that, let's talk about some very brief news here. The Titans have activated a couple players off the reserve COVID list. However, neither player will contribute at all. The Titans activated Paul Adams, an offensive tackle, and then released him. And they moved Monty Rice from reserve COVID over to injured reserve. Now, Rice could still come back at some point if they ever designate him to return, but it's not happening anytime soon. He's still on IR. Any thoughts on these moves? Yeah, I mean, Paul Adams, uh, you know, was, was quickly released. He's a, he's a local guy that's a big fan of Taylor Lewan. I know he enjoyed working with Lewan at practice and stuff. So wouldn't shock me if Adams finds his way back onto this practice squad at some point. Uh, he's had several stints there throughout the year. With Rice, uh, great to see him get over COVID, of course. Uh, he will not play this year, though. His season is over. The injury that he suffered was season ending. So can't expect Rice to contribute this year, but it's nice to see him obviously uh, get past COVID because there is a human element here that extends beyond just the player, of course. Right, of course. Um, a couple other things that happened. The Titans, obviously the Titans have a very good front office. That's what happens when you put together five straight winning seasons, back-to-back division titles, three straight playoff appearances. You don't do that without a good front office. And a couple of guys in that front office Ryan Cowden, the vice president of player personnel, and Monty Ossenfort, the director of player personnel. The Giants have requested to interview both of these for their now vacant general manager position. We were talking about this in the group chat earlier today, but the Titans are a pretty well-run organization from ownership down. It's nice to not have the meddling type of owner who thinks they know more than the people they hired to do their jobs. I don't know if the Giants are in that situation or not, but the Giants are going to interview these guys. Obviously, they're not going to hire both of them, you would think. What what are your thoughts on this requested interview? Yeah, so, I mean, both of these guys have great reputations around the league. It's probably only a matter of time before they depart Tennessee for a GM job. That's not to say that it's going to be this job. That's not to say that it's definitely going to be this year, but it's probably coming at some point. Uh, Cowden, and they've both been hot names. Cowden is in his 22nd season in the NFL, his sixth with the Titans already. So he's been around for a while, uh, seemingly makes him an intriguing candidate for that Giants job. 
whatever. Who cares about the Giants, the NFC? We don't care about them at all. We just care about the Titans not losing guys that have helped contribute to great draft classes because you look back, I mean, obviously Isaiah Wilson was a disaster. And that's what, like, whenever you tweet about how good of a GM John Robinson is, somebody replies about Isaiah Wilson. Like, he's not a good GM because he picked Isaiah Wilson. Like, okay, shut the fuck up, motherfucker. Um, Excuse me. <laughs> but every GM has misses. But when you look at, like, I tweeted this the other day. We're, we're talking about the Titans having this one seed right now. That 2019 draft class is unbelievable when you get Jeffrey Simmons in the first round, A.J. Brown in the second round, Nate Davis in the third round, Amani Hooker in the fourth round, a fifth round pick who tore his ACL before playing a snap with the Titans and DeAndre Walker. And then a sixth round pick in David Long Jr. That sixth round pick that you actually acquired in a trade with the Dolphins, where you also get Ryan Tannehill. The 2019 offseason is the reason the Titans are where they are. The 2019 team made the playoffs and went on a run to the AFC championship game. The 2020 team made the playoffs and got a home playoff game. The 2021 team, obviously now with the one seed. So obviously you, you mentioned it, both guys have a, Tremendous reputation around the league. Titans front office apparently does too. So we'll see if anything comes of that, but definitely something to monitor as the Titans gear up for a playoff run. And as those front office guys start looking at the draft, which is not too far away, you know, it wasn't that long ago when January was just draft season for Titans fans, but uh, we've come a long way and now it's playoff season. But before we talk about the playoffs, let's get into last week's game. Recapping Titans win 28-25. They made it interesting, 21-0 at halftime, and the Titans pull out the win, 28-25. It got a little bit closer than I was comfortable with there at the end, but you were never worried, right? Yeah, it's strange for whatever reason, and, and, and I guess the MCA listeners probably don't know this, but I'm a known worrier. I'm definitely someone who typically panics, but uh, I just never really feared the Texans. I, I never, tr- and it probably a little short-sighted of me because I guess the Texans could have won this game, 28-25. It was uh, even close uh, before the Titans scored the 20, it was what, 21-18, I think. So, and, and Titans had a third down at one point where if they had to punt the ball back to Houston, only down three, uh, they were probably going to be in trouble there the way Davis Mills was throwing the ball around in the second half. But uh, no, I was never overly worried that Titans would lose this game to the lowly Texans. But, uh, you know, it's credit Houston. I mean, they played their butts off and they made this thing close in the end. Yeah, they definitely did. I feel like, I mean, the first half is almost exactly what I was expecting. The tight, it was kind of slow and methodical, but they eventually built up a 21 nothing lead there with some good long drives. It felt like every, I think they even said this on the broadcast at one point, the Titans didn't start a possession with the ball outside their own 20 yard line until the Texans started kicking off in the second half. So a lot of long drives from that offense with, again, it was nice to see Julio and AJ out there, the running game with Foreman still working pretty well, even without Derrick Henry. I mean, he was stuffed a few times in the second half. So his numbers don't look great because he had a lot of one and two yard runs and even some, the first play of the game, Foreman gets like blown up in the backfield for a five yard loss or something like that. But Titans were able to make the most of it. And I just want to talk about Ryan Tannehill's day, because I think this was a day where Ryan Tannehill really showed that he doesn't need a dominant run game or a Derrick Henry or whatever to be an effective quarterback throws for a season high and ties his career high four touchdown passes in this game. And a stat that Jonathan Boren from Broadway sports coaches corner podcast noted that I went and looked up with the NFL research department. The Titans had four receivers with 50 receiving yards or more and a touchdown in the same game 
That's happened like six times since 2014 total in the NFL. That's only happened one other time in the Titans Oilers franchise history. And it was when they were the Oilers. So a pretty rare, unique thing. And you get Julio Jones back, you get AJ Brown out there healthy. You have Anthony Ferkser contributing the most he's contributed all season. And yet your leading receiver, Nick Westbrook, Akina four catches 78 yards and a touchdown including a really nice catch over the middle on the one third down play where he went up and got it in traffic thoughts on Ryan Tannehill, the passing game, these receivers and what they were able to do in this game. Yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of thoughts. I'll try to uh, shorten it here a little, but first of all, this was a big spot for Ryan Tannehill, a little underrated because obviously, you know, going into week 18 with a chance to clinch the one seed. It was important that he showed up. It was even more important that he showed up given that this was a rematch against the Texans after a week 11 loss in which he was 35 of 52 with four interceptions. And as they could have been worse, because we forget that he fumbled twice in that game. Tennessee happened to recover them, but he accounted for four turnovers in that game. And it could have been six, which is just unheard of. So it's really important for Ryan Tannehill to bounce back in this one in such a big spot, obviously week 18, looking to clinch the one seed. He absolutely did that uh, in the, in the, in the interest of, of shortening my statement here, how about the play that he made with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter? The Titans were uh, up 21-18 at that point. Houston was rallying back. You got a third and five. Uh, they had already had, I think, three consecutive three and outs. You're now facing a third and five and the risk of going three and out for the fourth consecutive time and giving Houston the ball back when you now only have a three-point lead. That was a very concerning spot and a really big down. It's the most important play of the game. Tannehill somehow escapes the sack. I have no idea how he did it. He was within the grasp of, I think it was Texans defender, Jacob Martin, probably got a bit of, caught a bit of a break with Taylor Lewan there. I think 77 helped hold him up a little bit, but he avoids the Also, sack. the ref's not blowing the whistle for in the grass. I mean, I don't know if he was really in the grass, but you see that happen yes, sometimes. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because I... I was certainly, I don't want to say surprised, but it was within the realm of possibility that they were going to call him down or forward progress, stop, whatever. Uh, but credit them, they didn't do it. He he escaped the grasp, rolls out to his, I guess his left, I think it was. No, his right, I think it was. And he finds Nick Westbrook down the sideline for a 36-yard completion. I mean, it was a huge play. It kept Tennessee's offense on the field. They eventually scored a touchdown to extend the lead to 28-18. The game was effectively over at point, in my opinion, but that was the biggest play, without a doubt, that Tannehill made. You said it. Shout out to Nick Westbrook. I do want to quickly talk about him. That third and sixth catch he made for 29 yards up the middle that you kind of previewed there, that was unbelievable. He extended his body, extended his arms, uh, in traffic, showed strong hands. He was around three Texans defenders when he made that catch. What an excellent display of toughness to hold on to the ball, knowing that you're probably going to get popped. And a really athletic play, right, for him to extend his body in that manner and make the catch. He then... Uh, he later caught a touchdown, right, following a second quarter end zone uh, pass interference that targeted Racy McMath way down the field in double coverage. That was Tannehill's third touchdown of the half, by the way, to find Westbrook Akine there. So I thought he had a terrific game. And of course, the aforementioned 36-yard gain that he picked up when Tannehill uh, 
escaped the sack there. So Nick Westbrook was terrific in this one. Quick shout out to Julio Jones as well, who played without a doubt played his best game since week two. Not only was he healthy and available, which is really the most important thing when it comes to Julio, but he made some big catches, caught his first touchdown in nearly 15 months. It was so nice to see Julio get into the end zone. Think he ended with five catches for 58 yards and that touchdown and moved the chains on a couple of other third downs. That was really big. And my final shout out in the passing game, obviously goes to Anthony Furcher, who was huge in this game on third down. Don't look now, but it was Anthony Furcher's second consecutive plus showing where first he had a big 17-yard gain up the middle on third down to move the chains early in the fourth in the first quarter. He then caught a touchdown on third and goal later in the first half, which was really big because it came just plays after a Jeffrey Simmons penalty on offense. Uh, for failing to report as uh, eligible, wiped out a, a Deontay Foreman touchdown. So Furcher saved them, turned that uh, potential three points into seven. Uh, Tannehill, by the way, great job on that Furcher touchdown, showed great patience, uh, great and great fo- footwork as well to navigate the pocket, and a great job by the guys up front who had great pass protection, blocking for Tannehill for an extended period of time, buying him the time uh, to to kind of you know come off his first and maybe even second read and, and find an open Furcher for a touchdown. Second straight week for a, uh, for a touchdown for Fritzer, so that's really big. And then later in the fourth quarter, Fritzer makes his final big play of the game. On Again, on third down, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, a 23-yard gain for Fritzer. Had he not made that catch, Tennessee would have been facing about a 48-yard field goal attempt, which was certainly not a sure thing. So big ups to Anthony Fritzer, big ups to Nick, uh, Nick Westbrook-Akine. I am out of breath, but I've said everything I wanted to say about those pass catches. Yeah, and that field goal becomes important, especially when you think about the fact that Bullock missed a 42-yarder wide left earlier in the game. And on Tannehill, on those touchdown passes, the Ferkser touchdown, the Julio touchdown, he did such a great job using his eyes to manipulate the defense and create open lanes for his players, moving linebackers and cornerbacks in the flat to, to find wide open guys. He was doing that all game, and he's been doing that for the last few weeks now. We've talked about it on the podcast, but how we thought maybe Tannehill wasn't using his eyes as much to manipulate linebackers and safeties because he was watching his practice squad receivers to make sure they actually were in the right spot and running the right routes. And now that he's got his full assortment of pass catchers out there. And I think Nick Westbrook is a actually valid wide receiver. Three could play wide receiver two in spots when needed. And he's been a great asset this whole season. And I think Tannehill absolutely trusts him. So he factors into that along with AJ and Julio. They talked about it on the broadcast, how, when they had their little Saturday night meeting broadcast meeting with the team and people on the Titans that they talked about how was the most work Tannehill and Julio have gotten together in practice this week in a long time. So you can definitely see the trust coming into play there. And I think that will be huge heading into the playoffs. You know, we talked about this a little bit. Jerry McNichols got released last week, which was kind of surprising. I don't know if we got to talk about that on the podcast based on the timing of when it happened, but an interesting move for the Titans to say, we'd rather have Jordan Wilkins, who unlike his first play of the game commits a special teams penalty, but um, they, they let McNichols go and Wilkins doesn't get a touch on offense, but he played special teams. But I think that you don't, you don't miss McNichols in this game at all. I think Dontrell Hilliard played his best game as a Titan yet, and that's including the New England game when he busted a 60-yarder for a touchdown where he was mostly untouched, and it was just a, a block, really good blocking on, the, on that third down draw that he scored on. In this game, he, he goes nine carries for 57 yards. He catches only uh, one pass on a screen that got blown up for one yard, but his work in pass protection in this game was excellent. He had a couple really nice pickups, one that was noted on the broadcast on a, on a pass downfield. 
And he also kind of helped seal the game. He had a really nice effort run on a third down where he lunged forward for the first down and the refs, it looked like they were going to measure and they didn't even need to measure. They just signaled for the first down. And it's like, that is Hilliard out there making plays and helping to ice the game. He had the game ceiling run towards the end of, towards the end of the fourth quarter. So I think the Titans are going to be in a good spot with a little three back rotation. Obviously Henry's going to get the most majority of the workload, but Foreman's going to be able to spell him in the playoffs and help grind defenses down. And Hilliard is perfectly fine. Maybe even better than McNichols as your third down back who can pick up pass protection, who can catch screens and take them for whatever kind of gain the offensive line can actually block for because the screen game has struggled a lot this year, but they've also had a few that were executed well. So anyway, overall, pretty great offensive performance. They put up 28 points. It could have been better, but I do think Todd Downing went into a little bit of a shell in the second half, kind of expecting his running game to be better when they went, when they had those three consecutive three and outs to open the second half. And then they were taking deep shots on third and shorts on those three and outs. So it was like a little bit of, you know, just take the, get the first down and then take your deep shot on like a second and short or something, but they weren't getting into second and shorts and they were testing out the deep passing game and they had a 21 point lead for most of that time or a 14 point lead. So I felt like it wasn't really that egregious. And then when they needed to execute and move the ball again, they were able to overall encouraging performance from the offense. The defense played an excellent first half and a really just embarrassing second half. What happened in the second half to this defense Elijah Molden got cooked by Danny Amendola a couple of times. They were finding spots against the linebackers in zone coverage over the middle. David Long, Zach Cunningham, both got a little turned around at times trying to cover zones deep down the middle of the field. Do you think the Titans missed Jayon Brown in pass coverage in the second half? He was a surprise healthy scratch. I do like Jayon Brown, and I think he should be active over Rashawn Evans because at least he gives you something different uh, in the passing game, right? I think I think no one would really argue that he's probably better than Cunningham, certainly better than uh, Evans, and it's probably even better than Long as well when it comes to coverage. But I'm not going to attribute that for being one of the main reasons they struggled. It's tough to say why they struggled, but give Davis Mills a ton of credit. He was kind of cooking them, slicing them up there in the second half. There were a plethora of bad plays, truthfully, that we can signal out. I mean, Houston's first touchdown came on a flea flicker uh, where Davis Mills hit Texans receiver Chris Moore for a 28-yard touchdown, cut the lead to 21-7. You watch the replay of Wide that open. play. Oh, Jack Rabbit, Jenkins, and Kevin Byard were insanely fooled by that flea flicker. They bit so hard on the fake run. And, and part of me was slightly disappointed because I feel like those guys are such disciplined defenders. It was a little surprising to see them bite that hard. But the other part of me wants to tip my cap to Houston and offensive coordinator Tim Kelly because this Titans defense has been so aggressive. They swarmed to the football. Perhaps they identified something on tape, said we can take advantage of that. Let's, but let's, let's bait them with the run. But my God, if you watch the replay of that one, Byard and Jackrabbit bit so hard on the flea flickers. Pretty funny. And then you get Nico Collins, who I was a big fan of coming out in the draft. Boy, he absolutely mossed Christian Fulton for a 25-yard gain midway through the third quarter. It was a really nice play by Collins and a bit of a low light for Fulton. I'm, with that said, I'm not sure Fulton could have played it any better. It was a great throw, great catch by Collins. And then Danny Amendola, the 36-year-old Danny Amendola, who we all laughed at in the offseason. Let's be honest. When the Texans signed him, we all had a chuckle. Ha, 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 Danny Amendola. 
Dan the Amendola absolutely cooked the Titans secondary in this one. Over 100 receiving yards, two touchdowns. I mean, I don't think I'm going too far by saying the Titans had no answer for the 36-year-old Danny Amendola out of the slot. He was cooking them. He had a big 37-yard gain late in the third quarter that was attributed to uh, that was correctly attributed to David Long. Got behind Long in coverage and just picked up a, a big gain. A couple minutes later, he uh, catches a touchdown, converts a two-point conversion uh, uh, with Molden in coverage. Uh, and then later, you, you know, you talk about Elijah Molden getting cooked by Amendola throughout the day. Molden gets hurt on a play, is replaced by Chris Jackson. What happens? Amendola cooks Chris Jackson on his first play in coverage. I think it was a bit of a double move. That was his second touchdown of the day. So whether it was Molden, Chris Jackson, whatever it was, they didn't have an answer for Danny Amendola. He, he was incredible. Last thing I want to say about Amendola, by the way, I think I said Amendola 17 times, but he deserves it. <laughs> At the conclusion of the game, as the players were shaking hands, coaches were shaking hands, I thought it was pretty funny. I was very curious to see what Mike Vrabel said to Amendola because when he approached him to talk after the game, of course, Amendola played in New England, as you all know. Vrabel had a bit of a smile on his face. I guess you could, could smile about it because you won the game anyway. But I rewinded the broadcast. I turned my volume up to maximum to see if I could make out what Vrabel said. I couldn't make it all out, but I bet it was hilarious because you can hear Vrabel drop two F-bombs <laughs> uh, when he approaches Amendola. But he's got a big smile on his face. I think he says something along the lines of like, you know, F Danny, you can still play, huh? I think I heard you can still play in there, but it was pretty funny to see Vrabel give Amendola his props after the game. Future Tennessee Titan, Danny Amendola next year, baby. New slot receiver. Yeah, few, he, he Best slot receiver on the Titans he would be right he now, would. wouldn't he? Absolutely he would. He'd be, I mean, he would have been the best receiver for large chunks of the season while Julio and AJ were out. Yeah, he would have been receiver one for a couple of the <laughs> Pittsburgh game, the New England game. Yeah, the other Houston game. Um, All right, let's talk about the – sorry, one last thing on the defense. Kyle Pecco picks up his second sack of the year and Jeffrey Simmons in a huge moment when the Titans needed that needed a play from the defense comes up with a huge sack, puts him at eight and a half on the season. Danico Autry has nine on the season. Harold Landry has 12. What a turnaround. Just those three guys alone have, have out sacked what the Titans did in all of 2020. So a really great turnaround for this defense. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mean you mean Brooke, Brooke Sweet and Wyatt Ray didn't uh, uh, didn't combine for more sacks last season? Unfortunately, those guys combined for what two or three total sacks? I think Brooks Reed had two against I, the Texans. I don't maybe. think it was three. I'll tell you that <laughs> one and a half, two, something like that. Um, but all around, I mean, the defense stepped up and made the plays when they needed to. I think there was probably an element of, and I don't like this necessarily that they did this, but they were up twenty-one-zero at halftime against the Texans, like ready to clinch the one seed, you maybe saw a little bit of like, all right, we're, we're good in this game. We don't like, we can stop really trying as hard. I don't think the Titans were expecting the defensive or the offensive adjustments that Houston made. And most of those adjustments were just throwing the ball a lot more. Houston had been running the ball a lot on early downs in the first half, getting absolutely stuffed. Titans run defense looks really good right now, which is huge for the playoffs. Having a great run defense in the playoffs is crucial and most of the AFC teams do not, but we'll get into that in a second. Houston abandons the run in the second half and just starts peppering Danny Amendola with targets and he roasted the Titans. The the number one ranked rushing defense in the playoffs. Oh wow. 
Baltimore was the number one run defense in the regular season and they did not make the playoffs. So that's a good, that's a good stat. Let's talk about it. Let's get into the playoff standings here. And, and I'll just read off the seating list here really quick in case anyone missed it, because we have some fun things to laugh about in here as well. In the top spot in the AFC, your Tennessee Titans, 12 and five record tied with the Kansas city chiefs, but they obviously won the head to head matchup in Nashville. So Kansas city gets the two seed. Buffalo Bills come in at 11 and six with the three seed Titans beat them as well. So the Titans have already beaten the two seed and the three seed this season. Cincinnati gets the four seed. They will play Las Vegas Raiders, the five seed in the first wild card game on Saturday. The winner of that game will most likely be the Titans opponent. But if the six seed New England Patriots or the seven seed Pittsburgh Steelers upset their opponents, the Chiefs and the Bills, then we could see the Titans play one of those lower seeds. In the eighth spot, the Indianapolis Colts just missed the playoffs. They go to Jacksonville where they haven't won in seven years and lose again to the, the, the league's worst team, at least by final record. The Jags are able to beat the Colts, end their season, play spoiler, and still clench the number one overall pick. So hats off to Jacksonville. I, I don't like you guys at all, but I have a little bit of pity for you. Having been a Titans fan from 2014 through 2016, I, I get it a little bit, you know, like it's not easy being a bottom dweller, but Hey, you did the Titans and the NFL a huge favor by knocking out the Colts seven pro bowlers Colts. Don't make the playoffs with seven pro bowlers. First time that's happened in years. I can't remember the exact stat, but I saw it somewhere. Crazy stat. Fuck the Colts. Sorry for the language, but I hate the Colts and I love that they didn't make the playoffs. Although I'm sad because it would have been really fun to beat them for a third time. Anyway, that's the seeding order. I'm just going to throw it to you right now. We, I mentioned the most likely matchup is winner of Bengals Raiders. Is there a team that you would prefer the Titans see in the divisional round? I mean, you'd be absolutely insane to not say the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> I mean, not only are they by far the worst team in the playoffs period, including the NFC, if you get to play them, it would also mean that they knocked off the Kansas City Chiefs and eliminated them from contention. So talk about a double whammy there. It is not, I'm hope, hopefully me putting this out there in the universe uh, allows me to bite my tongue next week. There's no way they're going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. They're probably going to lose by 20 plus points. Uh, I don't think they stand a chance in this game, but my God, you couldn't, you couldn't draw up a more dreamlike scenario than playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. It would almost be like getting a second bye. That's how bad the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers are. I realize, and don't you know, I realize that they beat the Titans 19-13 earlier this season, but the Titans turned over the ball four times in that game. They still only lost by one score. They did not have Derrick Henry. They did not have A.J. Brown. And they did not have Julio Jones for the majority of that game. And keep in mind, the Titans were playing better when Julio was in that game. Because although I don't, I don't believe he made a catch. He was at least dictating some coverages, was winning deep, and was allowing Tennessee's offense to operate in a more successful manner. So when the Titans ended that game, they had Des Fitzpatrick on the field. Uh, Nick Westbrook was the number one receiver. So you throw that game out the window. It does not matter. You would absolutely love to see the Pittsburgh Steelers in this round. You'd be crazy to prefer anybody else. With that said, I do agree with you that the most likely opponent – is the winner of the Cincinnati Bengals Las Vegas Raiders game, being that that's the four versus five seed. But with that said, do not rule out the New England Patriots. It would not shock me in the slightest if Bill Belichick travels to Orchard Park, puts together a 
a great defensive game plan and beats Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills on the road. You know, it's an interesting thing to think about. The Buffalo Bills play in Buffalo Orchard Park. It's free. New and obviously New England comes from Foxborough. It's freezing cold as well. We know that. But the Bills are not built to play in these types of conditions. They obviously want to throw the football at a high level as they've done throughout the years. And they don't run the ball very well. And they've kind of neglected that part of their game. So it's kind of funny to think that Buffalo are about to play a a home playoff game in January and they're probably praying for good weather conditions because I, I think the, the worse the weather conditions are it starts to favor New England a little bit so either way no matter what the conditions I think this is going to be a really close game and although I still think the Bills win it it would not shock me to see the Patriots win it and if they do they will be the team heading to Nashville next weekend for a rematch with the Titans. That's so true. And what's interesting, I mean, you mentioned the Steelers there, likely losing by 20. The the Chiefs beat them 36 to 10 in week 16, which was not very long ago. And I don't think Travis Kelsey played in that game. So didn't even have Travis Kelsey. I think you're right. One of them was, yeah. Yeah. So that is, seems like a long shot, but hey, Tyreek Hill's dealing with this heel issue right now. Travis Kelsey's also been kind of banged up. The Chiefs have uh, lost a a few offensive linemen recently. Their offensive line hasn't even been that great all year. So I do think that like there's an outside chance that Pittsburgh does something big in this game, but they would have to, it would have to be a turnover filled nightmare for the chiefs for the Steelers to really have any chance. So I don't see that being very, very likely at all. I'm with you on that. I do think new England could win this game against Buffalo for all the reasons you said, and we've seen new England beat Buffalo already once this year. And then two weeks later, we saw them get beat by Buffalo. So that one could go either way. Just so everyone's clear, if all the highest seeded teams win, meaning the two, the three, and the four seeds all win, the Titans would play the four seed. However, if there are any upsets, the Titans will end up playing the lowest seeded team to advance. So if the six seed wins, Titans will play the six, as long as the seven loses. The seven seed wins Pittsburgh, then they will play Pittsburgh. If the five seed Raiders upset the Bengals, and they'll play the Raiders. All those games in Nashville, of course, the next two Titans games, assuming they get to play two will be in Nashville. And here's the craziest thing. Just saying this out loud makes me smile. It's pretty crazy. The Titans are two wins away from playing in a Super Bowl. How wild is that? Two wins. Beat the Bengals or the Raiders. And then you got either the Chiefs or the Bills, most likely the following week. I love that the Titans-Chiefs get to rematch in Nashville because the Titans have beaten the Chiefs the last two times they played in Nashville. They lost to the Chiefs the last time they played in Arrowhead. Of course, that was the 2019 AFC Championship game. But here's the crazy thing when I look at this list of AFC teams. And I do think, I don't want to jinx anything. And obviously, anything can happen. It's football. It's a single elimination game. The ball bounces in weird ways. Balls can be deflected. Players can be hurt in the middle of a game. And and key players can be lost, quarterbacks and other. So anything can happen. But I feel like a Titans-Chiefs AFC Championship 2019 rematch is almost inevitable. And especially just looking at the rest of the field, none of these teams in the AFC can stop the run. The Chiefs cannot stop the run. The Bills cannot stop the run. The Bengals struggle to stop the run. The Raiders really struggle to stop the run. The Patriots struggle. The Titans ran for 200 yards on the Patriots without Derrick Henry last time they played. The best team at stopping the run on this list is the seven seed Steelers who are the biggest long shot to advance in possibly the last 10 years of the playoffs. I mean, if the, if the Steelers win this game, that's almost a bigger upset than when Seattle beat new Orleans that one year when they were a seven and nine team with the beast quake. But 
The Steelers are just not a great football team. Big Ben looks so old and so ready to retire, even though he kept fighting long enough for the Steelers to get the win against Baltimore last week. But they were also a Minka Fitzpatrick pass breakup away. Hollywood Brown had a sideline ball in his hands that Fitzpatrick knocked out. Hollywood Brown catches that pass. The Ravens are in the playoffs and the Steelers are not. So that's how close it was for the Steelers there. I don't see any of these teams, except for the Chiefs, really being that big of a threat to the Titans' chances at making it to the Super Bowl. And I could regret saying this. These words could come back to haunt me. But I really think the Titans are the best team in the AFC right now heading into the playoffs if you assume that Derrick Henry will be activated for that divisional game. Do you disagree? No, I think the Titans have a really good chance of representing the AFC uh, in the Super Bowl. I obviously think, I feel really good about their second round opponent, the teams that we just previewed, any of the four, whether it's Pittsburgh, uh, it's New England, it's uh, Vegas or Cincinnati. I, I feel really good about that matchup. I think an AFC championship game potentially against the Kansas City Chiefs or Buffalo Bills is obviously the much more difficult matchup. And that's the one I could see going either way. I'm not saying, you know, I think the Titans have a great chance in that game. I'm not saying they don't. In that hypothetical game, of course, they still have to get there. But I'm not saying they don't have a good chance. But I would still... I would still be a little afraid, of course, if Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they are who they are for a reason. And then when it comes to the Bills, well, I don't think they're the big, bad Bills that they were last season. I do think Josh Allen is such a talented quarterback that he could win any given game for them. I mean, he was great in that first game against the Titans. Titans won by three points. And fairly, you could almost say they were somewhat lucky to win that game, right? You know, on the quarterback sneak at the end there where Jeff Simmons stopped it on fourth down. Uh, If the Bills pick that up, they they probably go on to win that game. So I think an AFC championship game against the Chiefs or Bills is pretty much anyone's game. But you should like the Titans' chances, especially because they're at home. That's how I feel, and and I do think we'll probably end up seeing Josh Allen run the ball more than he has. I mean, there are a couple games throughout this year where he was a big rushing threat, but for the most part, the Bills have kind of saved that aspect of their offense, and I do think we will see a huge, huge amount of Josh Allen running the ball. I would expect Josh Allen is the Bills' leading rusher in almost all of their playoff games if they play more than one or two, so we'll see what happens. Keep in mind, the Titans cannot, under any circumstance, play the Chiefs or the Bills in the divisional round. So if anyone is worried about out there that uh, if anyone is worried about that out there, get it out of your head. They will not see those teams until the conference championship, assuming the Titans don't completely fall flat on their face like they did in 2008 when they lost 13-10 to the Ravens in the first round. Chris Johnson got hurt in that game. Horrible non-delay of game call. So I don't know if we're like really even counting that, but let's not do that again. I- I thought last season's, you know, first round loss to Baltimore was pretty disappointing as well. It was disappointing last year. And that, that was because the Titans came out and um, I mean, we talked about it last year, but they didn't really play their game. They stuck to the run too long. They targeted Khalif Raymond on a crucial third down. Khalif Raymond's gone. They got Julio Jones in that role now, so they don't have to worry about it. But uh, yeah, it was weird. Corey Davis on the sideline, at, like for the fourth quarter of that game, not out on the field. The Titans needed a play and they couldn't get a play. So A lot went wrong in that Baltimore game last year. It was very disappointing, but they weren't the one seed. They didn't get a first round bye. They were just a a lowly four seed playing a five seed last year. So a different circumstance, but yes, I agree. Disappointing. Anything else you want to talk about before we sign off for this week? 
Uh, one thing I want to say about the game quickly, the Houston game again, I, I forgot to mention it earlier. Last week, I did like my unsung heroes of that game. I'm not going to really do that this week because we touched on a lot of those guys, but I will give you the names of who would make that list. Of course, Don Trail Hilliard, Nick Westbrook, Kyle Pico come to mind. But I'm going to switch gears and do something a little negative and point out a unit that absolutely has to be better in the playoffs. Uh, it's easy to ignore it because the Titans won this game, but they were absolutely atrocious on special teams against the Texans. I'll give you a brief rundown. You had Chester Rogers muff a line drive punt early in the first quarter. He was lucky that that was a line drive in a sense because it didn't give the Texans uh, defenders times to get down there. So you had Jordan Wilkins. You mentioned it earlier, get called up for an inexperienced Explicable reason who and he gets called for an absolutely insanely dumb late hit penalty on a pit on a Houston punt return early in the fourth in the first quarter I could almost assure you you have seen the first and last of Jordan Wilkins in Tennessee following that boneheaded penalty you had Randy Bullock miss a 42 yard field goal late in the first quarter and not only did he miss it he missed it terribly the second it came off his foot you knew there was no chance that that kick was going to be good it went way uh, wide right as he looked like he sliced it or whatever and that wasn't and that's already three things I've pointed out in special teams and I have a fourth for you uh, Chris Jackson was called for a back penalty in the second quarter that wiped out a pretty decent Chester Rogers punt return it, were, it ended up Tennessee ended up starting on their own six yard line because of that penalty Yes, they ended up driving 94 yards down the field and scoring a touchdown, but you never want to start the, that possession on your six-yard line due to a special teams penalty. So those were four special teams errors that I counted uh, during the game, and I wrote down, you cannot have that kind of shit happen in the playoffs. Yeah, not in the playoffs. You, you can drive 94 yards against the Texans, but against the playoff defense, things are going to be a little bit more challenging. I thought that was a bad call by the refs, honestly. I mean, they were kind of like, it was a double team block situation going on. Chris Jackson and somebody else on the Titans were both blocking the same guy and they were running downfield together all the way. It wasn't like he came out of nowhere blindsided and pushed him in the back, you know, which is what you typically see for a block in the back call. They were kind of just like shoulder to shoulder a little bit. And the defender turned his back to, to Chris Jackson and Chris Jackson kind of like with his other arm flailing out, knocked him over. It was not an egregious block in the back. I actually hated that penalty call, but Whatever the point, your point is absolutely valid. The Titans special teams, those hidden yards, that third phase of the game is so important in the playoffs. And it's one of the things that the Titans have been good at this year is being good on special teams. So they absolutely need to continue being a more effective special teams unit. All those errors, notwithstanding, they, um, who was it? Nick DeZubnar had a great tackle on the opening kickoff of the game to, to, flatten whoever the heck was the returner for Houston. If I want to put one positive spin on it, shout out to Nick DeZubnar, who did make a great tackle on the opening kickoff. Houston ended up be, uh, starting that possession on their own 18-yard line, so he does deserve a shout out. It was by far the best special teams play the Titans made. Agreed. All right, I think we did it. I think we covered everything we needed to cover. We got through the Texans recap. We talked about the playoffs. Mike Vrabel, Coach of the Year. We didn't touch on Mike Vrabel, Coach of the Year very much. I mean, what more is there to say? He did it. The Titans are the top seed. They Monday, Mike Herndon had a great tweet. The Titans are the first team in NFL history to win eight games or more against teams with a winning record. The Titans beat eight teams with a winning record this year, the most of any team ever. And no, week 18 had nothing to do with that because the Texans did not have a winning record. So 
Great season for the Titans. Mike Vrabel playing 91 total players, breaking the record Tennessee set earlier this season for most players activated in a season or not activated, but who actually play, get on the field and play snaps for a team in a season. So give Vrabel credit for that. Give Vrabel credit. I mentioned this on the podcast last week for promoting his coordinators in moves that were largely lamented, not just around the Titans fan base, but around the league. Hiring Jim Schwartz is another feather in Vrabel's cap, bringing in somebody to help uh, continue to bolster the defense, which is now one of the best defenses in the league. That, Like you mentioned, the top run defense of all the playoff teams. One of the, I think it's like a top, Heading into week 18, they were a top six scoring defense. I don't know how allowing 25 points to Houston affects that. Probably not in a great way, but I can check that later. But sorry, podcast listeners, we don't have that set for you now. But they've been very good on defense. Obviously, you know that all year. Hope, hoping it can continue into the playoffs. But I, I mean, to me, Mike Vrabel deserves coach of the year. I think Zach Taylor has a strong case. But then, like, Zach Taylor is not a great in-game management guy. He actually blew some games that Cincinnati should have won this year that were uh, direct coaching mistakes by Zach Taylor and game manage clock management mistakes by Taylor. And then Matt LaFleur has a strong case as well. But a lot of Matt LaFleur's strong case is that Green Bay's won 13 games three years in a row, which is, like, great give him coach of the three years that's not the award the award is coach of the year you took a 13 and three team and made them 13 and four do you deserve coach of the year for that you have the mvp quarterback in back-to-back seasons on your team do you deserve coach of the year for that i know green bay juggled a lot of injuries as well but not more than the titans so like even if you use that as the main argument for green bay tennessee's case is still stronger tennessee's mvp candidate didn't play for nine games so i don't know if anyone out there even disagrees with me but Vrabel absolutely deserves coach of the year. And by people, I mean people listening to this podcast. Like, obviously, you're all Titans fans, so you all agree. Mike Vrabel deserves coach of the year. But I think the case is so strong that it, it's just a slight on... It's just a... It's just the, the reason he won't win if he doesn't is because Nashville's a small market. Like, that's the only reason that he shouldn't win. I agree with everything you said. I won't add a lot to it because I think I'd probably be uh, regurgitating a lot of what you just said. One final thing I'll say on, on the Titans and the challenges that they overcame. Uh, five different life left tackles started throughout the year. I, I can't begin to explain how difficult it is to be taking left tackles in and out of the lineup. He played 17 games and started five left tackles. Taylor Lewan, Ty Sombrello, uh, Kendall Lamb, uh, Bobby Hart, and Dylan Raiden. So five different left tackles is pretty unheard of throughout the course of the season. And by the way, none of them were um, performance related, right? It's not like they played five left tackles because they all sucked. This was all injury or COVID related that they had to turn to five different players there at, at the at the one of the most important positions on the offense, right? Protecting the blind side of the quarterback. Uh, a lot of people rode off the Titans when Derrick Henry got hurt on Halloween. They finished six and three without Henry. Six wins in nine uh, appearances without Henry and wrapped up the one seed uh, in the AFC. So what else is there to say? Mike Vrabel for coach of the year. Absolutely. And I think that's a great way to wrap up this podcast. Everyone out there, please enjoy playoff wild card, or should I call it super wild card weekend, which includes a Monday night NFC matchup without having to worry about whether or not the Titans will advance. The Titans have advanced. They've already advanced to the divisional round of the playoffs. It's incredible. What a great feeling. Enjoy super wild card weekend coming up. We will be back next week to preview whomever the Titans opponent ends up being. Cross your fingers for a huge Steelers upset. Until then, everyone out there, stay safe. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room, and we will be back next week. 
tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.